This is the Bible in one year, day 150. Your trial will become your triumph. Houston, we had a problem with the words of Jim Lovell on the evening of the 13th of April, 1970. Nearly 56 hours into the mission to the moon, an explosion aboard the spacecraft plunged the crew into a fight for their survival. Within less than a minute, there was a cascade of system failures throughout the spacecraft. It was all at one time a monstrous failure, said NASA's flight controller. The spacecraft looped around the moon, using its gravity to return to Earth. Millions of people followed the drama on television. Eventually, the capsule splashed down in the Pacific Ocean near Tonga. In an article headed Apollo 13, From Disaster to Triumph, the BBC science reporter wrote, Although the mission was not a success from a conventional perspective, it was a triumph of ingenuity and determination. Jim Lovell said it showed the people of the world that even if there was a great catastrophe, it could be turned into a success. The supreme example of triumph coming out of apparent catastrophe is the cross. What seemed to the world to be the ultimate defeat was in fact the ultimate triumph. Psalm 68. Surely God will crush the heads of his enemies, the hairy crowns of those who go on in their sins. The Lord says, I will bring them from Bashan, I will bring them from the depths of the sea, that your feet may wade in the blood of your foes, while the tongues of your dogs have their share. Your procession, God, has come into view, the procession of my God and King into the sanctuary. In front are the singers, after them the musicians, with them are the young women playing the tambourines. Praise God in the great congregation. Praise the Lord in the assembly of Israel. There is the little tribe of Benjamin leading them. There the great throng of Judah's princes. And there the princes of Zebulun and of Naphtali. Triumph of God. As we look around at the world today, we see so much evil. This psalm celebrates God's ultimate triumph over evil, and in particular, evil nations and empires. You're invited to watch the triumphal entry of God into his temple. God has triumphed. Right will win the day. Human pride and inflated arrogance will one day be humbled before the majesty of God's just rule. David describes a triumphal procession celebrating the victory of God over his enemies. Surely God will crush the heads of his enemies. Your procession has come into view, O God, the procession of my God and King. There follows a picture of the worshipping community as it should be, with singers, musicians, tambourines and more, all praising God, and with the princes among them. They're led by the little tribe of Benjamin. The last and the least will be first. Lord, I pray that we would see a revival of worship and that the leaders of our nation would be at the heart of worshipping communities, praising God in the great congregation. New Testament, John 19. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. 
The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they slapped him in the face. Once more Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, Look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jewish leaders insisted, We have a law. And according to that law, he must die, because he claimed to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, and he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? he asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said. Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, Take him away! Take him away! Crucify him! Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king! But Caesar, the chief priests answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be King of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written. I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, They divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, 
Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, Here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Triumph of Jesus Have you been through hard times in your life? Perhaps you're in the middle of a hard time right now and things aren't looking good in your life at this moment. Remember that at the time of his greatest triumph, it did not look good for Jesus. I remember talking to Father Raniero Cantalamessa, preacher to the papal household, just before he took part in a public debate with one of the new atheists. I asked Father Raniero whether he thought he would win. He replied that he didn't know. He said he might lose the debate, but he added, God can be glorified in defeat. The crucifixion of Jesus shows that God can be glorified in what appears to be defeat. This is the moment of Jesus' greatest triumph. Three times Pilate protested that Jesus was innocent, and on two further occasions he tried to get out of allowing Jesus' death. In the end, he was too weak to act as his conscience led. He caved in to their demand. He turned him over to be crucified. Jesus' death was entirely voluntary. No longer free to move, Jesus was in fact the only one who was totally free. Pilate said, Don't you realize I have the power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, You haven't a shred of authority over me except what has been given you from heaven. The irony was that Jesus had total authority over Pilate. This was the hour of great darkness. Jesus was flogged. A crown of thorns was put on his head. He was struck in the face. He was handed over to be crucified. He was stripped of his clothes, and the soldiers cast lots for his undergarments. Yet through it all the scriptures were being fulfilled. John emphasizes the fulfillment of prophecy and the royalty of Jesus. Throughout Jesus' trial and crucifixion, there is a constant theme of whether he is a king. The soldiers dress Jesus up as a mock king and shout, Hail, King of the Jews! Pilate declares with bitter irony, Here is your king! And asks, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests reply, We have no king but Caesar! And so Pilate has a sign prepared stating, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. As Jesus is being crucified, he looks anything but a king. He's being taunted and mocked. Yet the irony is that as Pilate organises for the notice to be prepared in three languages so that everyone can read it, God's purposes are being fulfilled in proclaiming to the whole world that Jesus is God's King. He is the King of love, hidden and silent. During his trial, Jesus declared to Pilate, You're right in saying that I am a king. However, unlike Caesar, his kingdom is not of this world for it is an eternal heavenly kingdom. The eternal king is triumphing, not through the might of Roman triumphalism, but through the seeming weakness of death on a cross. Jesus is triumphing over darkness, evil, and sin. Tomorrow we will read those great words, It is finished. Jesus completed the task of bearing the world's sins in his own body. The greatest victory in the history of the world had been won. This is the triumph of good over evil, of life over death. His life appears to be a horrible failure. Hate seems to have conquered love, 
but in fact the conquered one who has apparently failed has in fact triumphed and opened up a source of new life a new vision for humankind and a new road to peace and unity if you are struggling at the moment with the circumstances of your life stay close to jesus and remember that god can be glorified in defeat the greatest triumphs in our lives sometimes occur when the circumstances seem to be hardest lord thank you that because of your triumph god always leads us in triumphal procession in christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him old testament 1 samuel 26 to 28 the ziphites went to saul at gibeah and said Is not David hiding on the hill of Achilah, which faces Jeshimon? So Saul went down to the desert of Ziph, with his three thousand select Israelite troops, to search there for David. Saul made his camp beside the road on the hill of Achilah, facing Jeshimon. But David stayed in the wilderness. When he saw that Saul had followed him there, he sent out scouts and learned that Saul had definitely arrived. Then David set out and went to the place where Saul had camped. He saw where Saul and Abner, son of Ner, the commander of the army, had lain down. Saul was lying inside the camp, with the army camped around him. David then asked Ahimelech the Hittite and Abishai, son of Zeruiah, Joab's brother, "Who will go down into the camp with me to Saul?" "I'll go with you," said Abishai. So David and Abishai went to the army by night, and there was Saul lying asleep inside the camp, with his spear stuck in the ground near his head. Abner and the soldiers were lying round him. Abishai said to David, "Today, God has given your enemy into your hands. Now let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of the spear. I won't strike him twice." But David said to Abishai. Don't destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? As surely as the Lord lives, he said, the Lord Himself will strike him, or his time will come and he will die, or he will go into battle and perish. But the Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. Now get the spear and water jug that are near his head, and let's go. So David took the spear and water jug near Saul's head, and they left. No one saw or knew about it, nor did anyone wake up. They were all sleeping, because the Lord had put them into a deep sleep. Then David crossed over to the other side and stood on top of the hill some distance away. There was a wide space between them. He called out to the army and to Abner, son of Ner, "Aren't you going to answer me, Abner?" Abner replied, "Who are you who calls to the king?" David said, "You're a man, aren't you? And who is like you in Israel? Why didn't you guard your lord the king? Someone came to destroy your lord the king. What you have done is not good. As surely as the Lord lives, you and your men must die because you did not guard your master, the Lord's anointed. Look around you. Where are the king's spear and water jug that were near his head?" Saul recognized David's voice and said, "Is that your voice, David, my son?" David replied, "Yes, it is, my lord, the king." And he added, 
Why is my Lord pursuing his servant? What have I done, and what wrong am I guilty of? Now let my Lord the King listen to his servant's words. If the Lord has incited you against me, then may he accept an offering. If, however, people have done it, may they be cursed before the Lord. They have driven me today from my share in the Lord's inheritance and have said, Go serve other gods. Now do not let my blood fall to the ground far from the presence of the Lord. The king of Israel has come out to look for a flea as one hunts a partridge in the mountains. Then Saul said, I have sinned. Come back, David, my son. Because you considered my life precious today, I will not try to harm you again. Surely I have acted like a fool and have been terribly wrong. Here is the king's spear, David answered. Let one of your young men come over and get it. The Lord rewards everyone for their righteousness and faithfulness. The Lord gave you into my hands today, but I would not lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. As surely as I valued your life today, so may the Lord value my life and deliver me from all trouble. Then Saul said to David, May you be blessed, David, my son. You will do great things and surely triumph. So David went on his way, and Saul returned home. 1 Samuel chapter 27 But David thought to himself, One of these days I shall be destroyed by the hand of Saul. The best thing I can do is to escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will give up searching for me anywhere in Israel, and I will slip out of his hand. So David and the six hundred men with him left and went over to Achish, son of Maok, king of Gath. David and his men settled in Gath with Achish. Each man had his family with him, and David had his two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail of Carmel, the widow of Nabal. When Saul was told that David had fled to Gath, he no longer searched for him. Then David said to Achish, If I have found favor in your eyes, let a place be assigned to me in one of the country towns, that I may live there. Why should your servant live in the royal city with you? So on that day Achish gave him Ziklag, and it has belonged to the kings of Judah ever since. David lived in Philistine territory for a year and four months. Now David and his men went up and raided the Geshurites, the Gerzites, and the Amalekites. From ancient times these people had lived in the land extending to Shur and Egypt. Whenever David attacked an area, he did not leave a man or woman alive, but took sheep and cattle, donkeys and camels, and clothes. Then he returned to Achish. When Achish asked, Where did you go raiding today? David would say, Against the Negev of Judah or against the Negev of Jeramiel, or against the Negev of the Kenites. He did not leave a man or woman alive to be brought to Gath, for he thought they might inform on us and say, This is what David did. And such was his practice as long as he lived in Philistine territory. Achish trusted David and said to himself, He has become so obnoxious to his people, the Israelites, that he will be my servant for life. 1 Samuel chapter 28 In those days the Philistines gathered their forces to fight against Israel. 
Achish said to David, You must understand that you and your men will accompany me in the army. David said, Then you will see for yourself what your servant can do. Achish replied, Very well. I will make you my bodyguard for life. Now Samuel was dead, and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in his own town of Ramah. Saul had expelled the mediums and spiritists from the land. The Philistines assembled and came up and set up camp at Shunem, while Saul gathered all Israel and set up camp at Gilboa. When Saul saw the Philistine army, he was afraid. Terror filled his heart. He inquired of the Lord, but the Lord did not answer him by dreams or Urim or prophets. Saul then said to his attendants, Find me a woman who is a medium, so that I may go and inquire of her. There is one in Endor, they said. So Saul disguised himself, putting on other clothes, and at night he and two men went to the woman. Consult a spirit for me, he said, and bring up for me the one I name. But the woman said to him, Surely you know what Saul has done. He has cut off the mediums and spiritists from the land. Why have you set a trap for my life to bring about my death? Saul swore to her by the Lord, As surely as the Lord lives, you will not be punished for this. Then the woman asked, Whom shall I bring up for you? Bring up Samuel, he said. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out at the top of her voice and said to Saul, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. The king said to her, Don't be afraid. What do you see? The woman said, I see a ghostly figure coming up out of the earth. What does he look like? he asked. An old man wearing a robe is coming up, she said. Then Saul knew it was Samuel, and he bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? I am in great distress, Saul said. The Philistines are fighting against me, and God has departed from me. He no longer answers me either by prophets or by dreams. So I have called on you to tell me what to do. Samuel said, Why do you consult me, now that the Lord has departed from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done what he predicted through me. The Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hands and given it to one of your neighbors, to David. Because you did not obey the Lord or carry out his fierce wrath against the Amalekites, the Lord has done this to you today. The Lord will deliver both Israel and you into the hands of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. The Lord will also give the army of Israel into the hands of the Philistines. Immediately Saul fell full length on the ground, filled with fear because of Samuel's words. His strength was gone, for he had eaten nothing all that day and all that night. When the woman came to Saul and saw that he was greatly shaken, she said, Look, your servant has obeyed you. I took my life in my hands and did what you told me to do. Now please listen to your servant and let me give you some food so that you may eat and have the strength to go on your way. He refused and said, I will not eat. 
But his men joined with the woman in urging him, and he listened to them. He got up from the ground and sat on the couch. The woman had a fattened calf at the house, which she slaughtered at once. She took some flour, kneaded it, and baked bread without yeast. Then she set it before Saul and his men, and they ate. That same night they got up and left. Triumph of David. David's triumph does not come easily. Victories in life are rarely easy. They generally come after many difficulties and failures. Saul said to David, May you be blessed, my son David. You will do great things and surely triumph. It is tragic to see how far Saul had fallen. At one stage he was the spirit-filled man of God, getting rid of evil from the land. Now he finds himself consulting the very witches he has expelled. Yet even in the Old Testament, there were the beginnings of the knowledge of life after death, and that in spite of all he'd done, the Lord saved Saul. Tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. We also see the worst side of David's character. He joined the Philistines, lives by deceit, and murders women and children. He has to sink to the lowest depths to hide what he's doing. The picture the Bible paints of David is far from perfect, and yet... God uses him despite his failings and failures. On the other hand, we also see David at his best. David had an opportunity to take revenge on Saul, who was trying to kill him. However, David refused to take revenge. He had great respect for Saul because he was in a position of authority. He says, Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? The Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. David stayed loyal and faithful to Saul, despite the fact that Saul was trying to murder him. Follow David's example and refuse to be led into sin in an attempt to break free of a person's authority over you. Even Saul recognizes David's righteousness and faithfulness. Saul sees that he will do great things and surely triumph. The life of David teaches us not to expect instant success and triumph, Often God prepares us through the years of obscurity, difficulty, and even defeat or failure. It is in these times of testing that, like David, we must never act out of revenge, but rather treat everyone with love, honor, and respect. Lord, thank you that you use us powerfully in spite of our many failings. Thank you that our triumph over evil is only possible through the triumph of Jesus on the cross and in his resurrection. Pippa adds, John 19, verse 25. I can't imagine what Mary, the mother of Jesus, was going through as she stood at the cross, watching her son dying. It was bad enough when one of our children broke a leg and another had an operation, or that they've gone through difficult or traumatic times. Watching your children suffer is the most painful thing. Mary is an inspiration as a mother, and the love between mother and son is so touching. Sometimes just being there is all that you can do. Jesus' concern and provision for his mother, even at this most difficult time of his life, is a reminder of the importance of always caring for our families.